Hello and welcome to Rollins Around Town. I'm Sam Stark and I serve as the Vice President of Communications and External Relations here at Rollins College. My role allows me to engage in the Central Florida community on many levels and it is my responsibility to help connect the dots between the college and the community at large. The dots I refer to are opportunities for college stakeholders, faculty, staff, and students to have access to leaders and professionals in our region. This helps Rollins deliver on our mission while also uplifting the brand of the college throughout Central Florida. The goal of the show is to share the role, the important role, Rollins plays in town and how important the college is to our region. So thank you for joining us this morning, and it is my pleasure to introduce my guest and friend, Gus Ramsey. Gus is a 1989 graduate of Rollins, is married to one of his classmates, the lovely Jackie Colross Ramsey, and they are the parents of a current Rollins student. Not to mention his parents and brother all went to Rollins. Professionally, Gus serves as the program director of the Dan Patrick School of Broadcasting at Full Sail University. Before that, he was a producer at ESPN for over 20 years and started his career here at WESH 2 as a producer. Gus, so great to have you on the show, and thanks for being here. Sammy, I don't know that I've ever been up this early the day after Fox Day <laughs> right? in my life. So for you, though, I'm willing to get up. You're the best. Listen, Fox Day, I've sort of decided, you know, the older we get, it's kind of like your birthday. You're kind of like less excited about it the older you get. So there's this odd correlation. I'll see if I can two. take that over to full sale. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. So we have a lot to talk about. Um, Talk just quickly about your sort of short version. Where, where, where did you grow up, uh, and, and what was your journey to get to Rollins? Yeah, born and raised in Grange, Connecticut, and um, at a pretty young age knew that I wanted to do something in entertainment slash broadcasting should I not grow to be 6'7 and get drafted by the 76ers, which <laughs> right. didn't happen. Close. Um, but it's funny. You would think that someone who kind of knew that he wanted to do broadcasting would go to a broadcasting school. But my parents went to Rollins. My brother was here. I came and visited him when he was here and was blown away by the campus like everybody else and really loved the idea of not being in the Northeast <laughs> for college right. and uh, wearing shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt to go to class and run to the beach when class was over. <laughs> and I fig- I don't know what I thought other than let me go to Rollins and just kind of see what happens. Yeah. So um, I, I'm sure just because of the familial influence, that had a, a large part in me ending. I applied early. I found out before Christmas that I had been accepted. I wasn't a great high school student, so the idea that I had been accepted into a college before Christmas, hallelujah, that was let's it. go. <laughs> That's pretty good. What was your what was your major? I came here as a theater major. Okay. I, I loved doing plays and stuff in high school and um, being a ham and having a, shot light, a spotlight <laughs> shine on me. Like All that stuff has always been exciting to me. Yeah. Um, and then when I got here... Uh, the theater group's a different group if you're not a, a theater group person. And I was a jock who just kind of wanted to do theater. And after a little while, I just didn't feel like a good fit anymore. So yeah. I, uh, I switched over to an English major. Very nice. And so at, during those transitions and during your time here, did you still feel like sports, entertainment, broadcasting was still your path? Or did you start to have you know, other thoughts about other directions for your professional career? No, I knew it was still going to be broadcasting, especially after the basketball dream died. <laughs> and I, I came to WPRK and uh, talked to Gordon Frazier, who was running the station at the time, and, and just said, how do I get to call the games? And there were a couple of seniors 
uh, here at the time who called the bulk of them, but they, you know, were happy to let me have some opportunities. And so uh, other than the high school, uh, a radio show that I did in high school on our town radio station in Greenwich, you know, WPRK is kind of the launching point for figuring, saying somehow, some way being involved in sports casting is what I want to do. Yeah. I think about my entry into winter or to WPRK and it was you. Um, I, I think it was a fall, early fall day, right? I'm a first year student, and there was a student activities fair outside of what was then the campus center, now the Rice Family Pavilion. And there was a WPRK table amongst you know thirty other tables of other student organizations. And you were the guy. You were standing there with a clipboard, and uh, kind of the same thing. Like, what, what's WPRK, and what do we do, and what do you do? And being one of those, uh, you know, frustrated jocks in my own right, I was like, this is cool. We get to talk sports and do our own sports thing. So uh, I was sold. And uh, WPRK has a really rich history. I mean, so talk, you know, what, what are your memories of uh, of sort of the talents and the legacies that have come from from WPRK? Yeah, well, you mentioned Gordon Fraser, right, an all-timer. Gordon ran this place for, for decades and was a veteran of NBC Radio. I remember him telling me he covered the World's Fair in 1939 for NBC Radio and had this great velvety rich voice. And so I think he just kind of set the tone for inclusiveness and take advantage of opportunities and all those things. Uh, prior, when my brother was here, um, he called games for PRK. And when he was a freshman, Chris Russo from Sirius XM Radio was a senior, and they called some games together. My, my brother's got some cassette tapes still of him and, and Mad Dog calling games. That's awesome. Um, so, and then for me, because I had done the DJ thing in high school, it was twofold. I get to call sports and I get to DJ shows. So right. I was like everything I ever wanted to do was happening all at once. And you got to remember, pre-internet, pre-cell phones, <laughs> pre-MP4s, People turned on the radio all the time right. to get entertainment. And people, you know, would, listening to the Rollins game, you couldn't see it. You had to listen to it. Yeah. Uh, and we had some some great kind of um, semi-retired professionals who from the area who would come in and do stuff and getting to interact with them and, and just peppering them with questions about the business and their experiences was fantastic. It was. Such, a, such, such fun memories. Broadcasting. Basketball was sort of the you know the anchor, but baseball uh, and baseball week back when that was sort of more of a thing when Division One schools would come down and play Rollins for that week. Um, I don't know. Did, did Eric Marshall and I, who ha- had on the show a couple of weeks ago, did soccer. I don't know if you got to call a soccer I, game. I did call soccer, and I knew nothing about it, you know. And uh, but it was an opportunity. And there's that. There's I tell my students now all the time. Get uncomfortable being uncomfortable yeah. and get yourself outside of that box. And so trying to broadcast a game that you don't know much about and having to do the research and trying to learn about it is really valuable. Yeah. Can't let this go on without mentioning the baseball story, right? Calling a baseball game with Gus <laughs> and <laughs> watching a batter hit a high fly ball sort of moving towards uh, first base and right field going out of, uh, out of fair play, which is where cars were, are parked or were parked. And then recognizing, hey, it hit a car. And Gus saying, hey, I think it hit my car. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, an hour and a half later, after we go out to uh, to wrap up and go home, there's a nice dent on the top of your roof. Yep. Uh, th- I thought I had parked strategically perfectly <laughs> because they've put in about 15 feet of space now between the back of the dugout and the actual parking lot. But back then, you could literally park right behind the dugout. And I thought, well... 
they would have to hit it so high and come down almost straight down the odds. And on, I still have the cassette of the broadcast. Right. And if that. nothing else, I love that I timed it perfectly. I said, there's a foul ball on the first base side and, and then you hear, <laughs> I think it hit my car. So I, I was smart enough to pause for the thud. Yes. And I remember you saying, no, no, that wasn't your <laughs> car. your car. <laughs> but it did. What the odds? That's good. So graduation day, uh, did you have a job at the time? No, I've spent most of my life not quite having the job I thought I was going to have. So I uh, went down to WESH some point spring term of my senior year, in part because my brother had interned there. Um, and so I was already interning, but there was no job in the offing. I just figured I would keep showing up, and I did for nine months. I worked for free yeah. there for nine months after I graduated. Uh, eating a lot of Roman noodles, and uh, <laughs> I sold a good portion of my baseball memorabilia collection, and my parents paid my rent because they knew that this was basically my grad school. Right. This is where he's going to work someday. Uh, and eventually, over time, I started DJing on the weekends, weddings and bat mitzvahs and, and things like that to, to make right. a buck or two. But no, at the time I graduated, yeah. it was still just a hope and a dream. So a couple of years at WESH and, and, you know, got to be around some great talent there. Mark Middleton, who, who you know, now runs Growing Boulder, uh, who someday we'll have on this show. But more importantly, uh, Stuart Scott, who you became super close with. And, and he ultimately went to, uh, to ESPN. And, I mean, is it as simple as one day he called you after he was at ESPN for a while and said, hey, there's a job here, you should check it out? Well, it was that combined with the Golf Channel starting up down here and dozens and dozens of people wanting to leave Bristol, Connecticut and move to Orlando and one dummy wanting to move from Orlando to Bristol, Connecticut. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I had wanted to be on air and I was working towards that goal. And Mark and Buddy Pittman were awesome at giving me opportunities. I got to do a live shot from Baseball Week uh, one day, and I got to do a couple of things for the overnight sports that ran on the Sunrise Show from time to time. So I was getting opportunities and working on my demo reel. And when the station decided to hire a third guy, Mark and Buddy were in favor of me getting a shot and saying, well, you know, if he stinks, we haven't wasted any money hiring him. Then we'll go find somebody else. And the news director left our station to go to North Carolina. So the decision went upstairs to the general manager who said, this is not a starter market. We're the 21st market in the country. I'm not putting a 21-year-old <laughs> on the air. So they hired Stuart, who was a news reporter in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm. Uh, and then so, yeah, he helped me get the interview at ESPN. But it's funny, you know, if that news director isn't leaving, right. maybe says, yeah, let's give Gus a shot. And maybe I'm good enough to get the job and I just bounce around local markets for my whole life and I never go to ESPN. And maybe Stu goes somewhere else and something else. Right. So you just never know how the little dominoes are going to fall and how it's going to impact you. But I don't regret the fact that I didn't re really ever get to be on air because I got to go to ESPN and produce yeah. SportsCenter for 21 years. So sh share that with us. What, what did you produce and, and some of the talent you got to work with? Yeah, when I got there, I, I started right on SportsCenter, which back then I did the overnight show, which came on at 2.30 in the morning. Um, and so my hours were like 6 p.m. to 3 a.m.-ish. Mm. And so I tell our students all the time, if you want a Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, go work at the candle store. You know, this is, <laughs> this is not the business for that. But I, got, I started on SportsCenter. Uh, on the overnight, mostly that was guys like Carl Ravitch and Gary Miller and Craig Kilborn. And then I did the 6 o'clock the following summer with Bob Lee, Robin Roberts, Charlie Steiner, and Jack Edwards. I mean, just – pretty good. Oh, it was incredible. And I, I – 
thankfully, I was smart enough in those early years to really kind of study those people and yeah. make note of what they did well, ask them questions, whatever. Uh, and then in time, I moved on to the 11 o'clock with Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann, which was known as The Big Show. Yeah. It was towards the end of Keith's time there, his first time there. Uh, I did about a year and a half with them. And then uh, Kenny Main took over. It's funny, Stuart and I didn't work together that often. Mm -hmm. We did it, if it was, it was because one of us had our schedules changed. We, mm -hmm. we, he and I were never assigned on the same show just for a little quirk of fate. Uh, and then I moved on to Baseball Tonight and I was the coordinating producer on Baseball Tonight for seven years, which if I had only had one job ever at ESPN, it would have been on that, yeah. being, being a baseball nut and getting to go to all-star games and World Series and producing the Hall of Fame all the time, yeah. that, that, that was outstanding. You're, you're not a great bragger, except for when the Broncos are good, but that hasn't been no, for a, a long time. 2015. Yeah. I, I know there was at least one or two awards that, that you, you earned and, and received. Can you just brag for a minute? Sure. Well, I've got four Emmys. Um, not, they're not Gus Ramsey Emmys. They're SportsCenter Emmys. Yeah. Um, and so every year there's a process in which uh, you submit a, a tape of shows, stuff that you've done on your shows, meaning not me, but ESPN. And so it was outstanding studio show daily. Yeah. And back in the 90s, we used to win fairly regularly. And now it seems like the industry wants to not give it to SportsCenter. <laughs> I think it's been a long time. Um, but yeah, those are nice mantelpieces to have and a little something to hang the Christmas lights on every December. It's <laughs> <laughs> impressive. It's amazingly impressive. Tell, tell us what does a producer do? Like what's a producer do on SportsCenter or Baseball Tonight? Yeah, so... My two primary jobs there were producer and then coordinating producer. And I always say the coordinating producer is the general manager of the team and the producer is the manager of the team. So I would go in every day and hop on the computer and build the show and say, this is the order of which we're going to show things. This is the content around each and every story within the show. Um, so typically your lead story is going to be the thing you devote the most time to. So if it was game seven of the NBA finals, well, we're going to have that highlight. We're going to have post-game sound. We're probably going to have Stephen A. Smith or somebody live from the game. And you're going to build probably eight minutes of content off of just that one game. And then you stack the rest of the show. Um, and then once you're on the air, the show is scheduled to be an hour long. You can't be an hour and two minutes and you can't be 58 minutes. Right. So you're really kind of just juggling everything. And you know, back then, we weren't allowed to show in progress baseball highlights. So mm. you might have Yankees-Red Sox for your lead story at 11 o'clock, but we know Yankees or Red Sox don't play timely fashion games. <laughs> so there's a lot of times you go in and go, up. Oh, game's only in the seventh inning. Right. And you might have three minutes of content based around that game that you now have to just kind of float, we call it. It's sitting over there waiting to come into the show, but right. you need the, that game to end. The ones that I remember the most are when the, Yank or the Marlins and Indians played in the World Series, <laughs> game four – I was on, I was producing the 11 and that game went into extra innings. And I had, I don't know, 15 minutes worth of content from that game once it ended. It didn't end on my watch. The game went past midnight. And so we had done a feature on a basketball player from Seton Hall who after he graduated had some brain trauma injury. It was like a six minute piece, which in the 90s, we never ran pieces that long. They yeah. do it all the time now. Well, game seven, same thing happens. Go to extra innings again. I'm not going to get anything from this. I ran the piece again. And I said, if anybody is seeing this for the second time, well, game seven of the World Series is extra innings, well, then God bless them. Because I got nothing else to run. So here's a, here's a, here it is again. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's fantastic. Did you ever have moments, do you ever have moments in your career where you look back and say, you know, I'm prepared because of Rollins 
and you know, and then sort of similarly, like what? How did Rollins help you prepare for a job that, in essence, it didn't train you for directly? Right. I think with Gordon specifically, and you and I used to joke about this when we were young and stupid. But Gordon would come on the air here at PRK and start his day by wishing happy birthday to whoever's birthday it happened to be. Right. And it was never Sam and Gus and John and Tom. It was always Constance and Vernon and these kind of <laughs> names of people that right. you know people aren't. But what he was doing was connecting with his audience. Right. And I'm sure there are people out there who are saying, it's my birthday today. I hope Gordon says my name. So that idea of connecting with an audience is something that struck me then and carried me through my career and something that I teach now. Beyond that, just doing the games and putting yourself out there and not being afraid to fail um, and having that voice. And we talk to our students all the time about finding your voice. And yeah. it, it sounds stupid, but one of the hardest things to do in this business is to be yourself. Yeah. Because when you're looking into that camera, talking into this microphone, we all have a preconceived notion of what a broadcaster is supposed to be, what they're supposed to sound like. Right. And you can't do that because then you're not authentic and you're not going to connect with your audience if you're trying to be somebody you're not. I remember we talked to Nicole Briscoe from SportsCenter last year and she said for a long time she tried to be two Nicoles and it wasn't working and it was too hard. Mm -hmm. So she stopped trying to be the on-air Nicole she thought she was supposed to be, and she was just going to be the every day of the week Nicole, and it's made her career so much better. So I think those things and, and the idea of community and building something, you know, you and I were founding fathers of a fraternity here. I never wanted to be in a fraternity, but the idea of helping build something and putting your footprint in, in the ground was pretty cool. And so now I'm doing it again at full sale yeah, and having that experience of, all right, some building something from the ground up and going, yeah, I helped to do that. That's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, for sure. So let, let's talk a little bit about your current job and, and almost like ESPN to some degree, is it as simple as full sale wanted to start a sports broadcasting program? They reach out to Dan Patrick and Dan says, I'm, I'm in and interested if Gus is in and interested. Actually, the other way around, Dan wanted to start ah, a sportscasting school or something like that. He had had a smaller notion first of just kind of having Jeremy Shap teach people reporting and a handful of people involved and almost like a freelance kind of capacity. Mm -hmm. And then the conversations grew to, well, let's look around and see if we can do this as a school kind of thing. And someone told his agent, you should check out Full Sail. And so they came down here, and then when they saw everything Full Sail has its disposal and uh, Full Sail hearing everything that Dan wanted to do, it seemed kind of a, a match made in heaven. And I had been laid off from ESPN with about 300 other people back in 2015 and started my own talent coaching business where I'm just working with anchors around the country, trying to help them get better at their jobs. And Dan knew that, and so he wondered if maybe I'd be interested in doing that. And so he called me and December of 2016 and asked a basically unemployed guy if he wanted to move to Winter Park, Florida. So it wasn't a big sell that Dan had to do, right? Um, but it, it did take a while. And so when I talk about not yeah. quite having the job yet, it was the first time a revenue share program that Full Sail had ever done. So Dan and Full Sail had to negotiate the contract. Well, he was telling me all along, I'm not doing this without you, okay? Wonderful, but the contract still had to get signed. right? So I'm telling Jackie, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But it's six months of it's going to happen, right? Right. In January of 2017, 
Josh Moore from Full Sail says, yeah, we're looking, we're thinking like July 1st. I said, all right, I'm going to be there July 1st. So we moved back down here right. and I didn't have the job yet. Nothing right. had no been offered. No signed contract. No signed contract. Jackie, of course, is, is freaking out. I just thought it was too good of an idea for both sides to, you know, not do it over a couple shekels here and there. Right. So once again, I just kind of jumped in and said, it's going to happen. Let's, let's see what does. Worst case scenario, I was living in Winter Park again and I could still do my talent coaching business from there. Right. And, and go from there. But it's, um, it was Dan's idea, and, and luckily he found Full Sail. That's fantastic. Couldn't be a better uh, match and, and two better brands for, for this kind of thing. Um, and then obviously to find the talent like you. So give us the specifics. What does the program do and offer its students? Yeah, so Full Sail's got uh, both a campus and an online degree. So if you're on campus, it's 20 months, and if you're online, it's 29 months. And then I always say we're, we're just trying to make you as well-rounded as possible. There's 32 classes that you take. 15 of them are sports casting specific. Four are the core four that everybody at Full Sail takes, no matter what your program is. And the others are, are shared with another program, things that have value to me. And instead of trying to build 30 other classes and hiring 30 people, we're able to say, you're going to take this class because it already exists and you need to know this stuff anyway. So ours focuses on... Our very first class, we teach you basically how to be a production assistant. Um, and we've got two grads who got production assistant jobs at ESPN in large part because when ESPN hires a production assistant, they spend six months kind of training them. Yeah. Well, we already yeah, taught we our people that, that right? Fantastic. Because uh, my staff, I've got 16 other people. We've got a combined 340 years of experience in the industry. I didn't hire teachers. I hired professionals who were looking to work or looking to give back or whatever. Um, we have classes on videography and editing. We have three vocal training classes because some people talk like I do and they need to get better at it. Um, <laughs> we have one class that's all about just doing live shots, which is taught by Gordy Hershiser, who is an anchor here in the Orlando market. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I love to do is he'll send them out into the parking lot, you know, to do a live shot and they put their, their AirPods in. He calls them on their phone to communicate them just like you would in television. From time to time, a student may stand close to my car and I may get in my car and honk the horn the entire time they're talking because <laughs> it's going to happen, right. right? And so it's not just about teaching them the techniques. It's about teaching them how to handle things yeah. that come up. And we had one student who was in our first graduating class who a couple years ago, the president was in Orlando, and he took his camera down to Church Street and just was doing mock live shots. And a drunk guy came over because he saw the camera <laughs> and whatever. And just that week in class, we had showed him a video of this is going to happen to you. Right. The camera is a magnet. Here's what you do when this happens. And he handled it great. And he was able to put that on his demo reel. And he got hired to be a news reporter in Bakersfield, California. And a year later, they made him the sports director. That's fantastic. So <laughs> it's a lot of teaching you the things that are going to come up yeah. and how you handle them. And I don't mind when they fail. I don't mind when they trip and fall because we'll correct it. And the more you do it with us, when you get out there and do it again and you will, it doesn't feel like the end of the world. Right. Like, oh, I stumbled over that. Okay, no big deal. Let's do it again kind of thing. So, but no one in this industry anymore is just a sportscaster. You're going to have to shoot. You're going to have to write. You have to edit. You're going to have to produce. Yeah. And, you know, maybe your first job is going to be an editor job. Right. Or it will be a production assistant, even though you want to work on air. The, the ability to make you get to the point where you can accept any of those jobs is, is the end game. And we've had a little over 100 grads so far. And 50 of them, I think, have jobs in the industry already. And a large percentage of those graduated during a pandemic when right. sports wasn't happening. Uh, we've got eight on air 
on-air people already. So I'm really thrilled That's with the fantastic. progress and the results. And so it, uh, you, you, you kind of just touched on it, but it's not specifically a sports broadcasting or it kind of is, but knowing kids and students will get jobs just anywhere in the industry that ultimately might lead them to back to sports? Yeah, so all the content is sports. Whereas if you go to some other schools, you can spend a lot of time talking about journalism. We don't. We have one class that kind of goes down the journalism path, but the rest of it is really about the nuts and bolts of being good on air and learning the behind the scenes stuff. The content is all sports. You know, again, you go to some of those other schools, you'll spend more time talking about the news side of things than you will the sports side of things. Right. And if a student wants to do all his projects on esports, he can. That's fine. And he puts the onus on my instructors to learn that language, right. which is tricky. Um, but we're not trying to teach you the rules of soccer or <laughs> volleyball. We want, we're teaching you how to be a sportscaster, and what you choose for your content is up to you. Right. So some people have taken jobs in news because that was the job that was available, and they didn't want to wait any longer. Yeah. But all the skills that we teach, I think, set you up. Look, being a better speaker and learning how to engage an audience and command a room that plays in any walk of life. Right. Right. Even for me as a producer at ESPN, every day the first thing we did was have a show meeting with 20 people in the room, and I ran it. If I got in there and said, um, oh, well, we got the, uh, the Mets, or I think. Or, no, you got to get up there and go, all right, guys, here's what we got today. I can't wait to hear what you guys think we should be doing. Yeah. And commanding that room. Uh, everybody does video content now, right? So that means shooting. That means editing. That means understand producing. If you're... Advent Health, and you want to do a slick commercial, and you're hiring someone with those skills, my students have those skills. It's got nothing to do with sports, but right. maybe while you're working for Advent Health, there's a guy from the magic there right. who goes, hey, you went to Dan Patrick School. We just happened to have an opening for a production. Yeah, that's that's, what, it that's how it happens. No doubt. Uh, no doubt. Rollins and Full Sail have an incredible uh, relationship and partnership and, and friendship and collaboration on so many levels. Um, the one that I think you created between the school, your, your, you know, the Dan Patrick School and Rollins Athletics, you know, defines a win-win. Uh, can you talk about what that is and how it benefits both programs? Yeah, actually, the credit for it goes to Nate Wyant um, yeah. from, from the, the sports side here at Rollins, who left last year. Um, he came to me, uh, I think it was during the Hall of Fame ceremony when I was being inducted a few yeah, years ago. Awesome. He got the idea of, hey, <laughs> he's running this sportscasting <laughs> school now. And uh, Rollins, I guess, had a need for students to broadcast the games. So he came to me and said, would you, would you be interested in having your students do the play-by-play -play for all our home streams? And I said, of course we would. You know, and at the time, we had 20 campus students or something like that. Right. So uh, I was a little worried about filling the need. But uh, now that we've got 100, it's a little, it's a little easier. But it's a great opportunity for our students to get the reps, get the experience, to feel what it's like to be live, right. um, deal with whatever a live sporting event will present to you, which could be hundreds of things. The process of having to prepare uh, to learn the players, to learn the terrific athletes, to learn the coaches. You and I had the luxury of calling a basketball game being played by people we went to class with. Right and walking around the campus that we knew and saying, oh, I, I saw John in the cafeteria today. He had a little limp, but he seems to be good to go tonight. <laughs> right. Right. My students don't get that experience. Right. So, you know, they've got social media and they can follow people on social media and find out what they're up to that way. And the Rollins coaches have been great. But it's just, it's a kind of a more professional 
preparation experience than what you and I ever went through. Yeah, um, no which which is awesome. And you know, for for people who are listening and for people who've been watching, I know that all of our students don't sound like they necessarily know <laughs> what they're talking about. And frankly, it doesn't bother me as much as I'm sure it probably does bother <laughs> you, but I'm never going to say no to a kid who volunteers to do something that he or she knows is outside of their comfort zone. Right. So if someone says, I'll try volleyball, I'll tell them, look, here's our resources. Here's things we can go study to learn this, this sport and get the terminology and the referee signals and whatever. But a lot of it is just go try it. And you're an athlete. You know what it feels like to be losing in a game you should be winning. You know what it feels like to be winning a game you should be losing. Or when your best player's not there, how you, draw off of those things. It's right. all parallels. So, you know, I'm, I don't have 20 volleyball experts sitting around, but <laughs> one, one of our best student grads, who's, who's now an on-air talent, signed up to do women's soccer when we first started doing it. He knew nothing about soccer, let alone women's soccer. By the end, he was my go-to guy, called all the big games. Coach Shuck loved him. The players always got excited when he was calling a game. And that's just the growth because Beautiful. he yeah. said, yeah, let me have this first opportunity. So I know some of it can be a little bumpy in the beginning, but they need those reps, just like the athletes. The athletes don't come to Rollins as finished products. Right. And hopefully by the time they get done, they're better. And that's the same way I look at it. But if you don't get on the court, you can't improve. No doubt. I'd look at it from our, you know, the families of our student athletes and the alternative is nothing. So <laughs> the fact that Dan Patrick isn't broadcasting volleyball games and lacrosse games and soccer games, you know, is, is okay uh, because mom and dad and grandma and grandpa at least get to have some connectivity and, uh, and, and be able to follow our student athletes. So I think it's just fantastic. What's next for the program? Um, growth for starters. I mean, we're only three years old. We launched in January, 2018. So um, uh, we have some ideas of where we'd like to be when we're five and when we're 10. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's the pandemic set us back a little bit because everything has been off campus starting in, in March of last year. Uh, by late summer of last year, we put two campuses or two classes back on campus. And those are the ones at the end of the program when the students are in the studio doing shows. Yeah. Uh, and, and they need that for their, their demo reels. Um, but there was a lot of things we would have liked to have done but not being in the same room set that back so we'd like to get to the point where we're producing and and doing like maybe a show a month that we can put on youtube or something like that i'd love to create a ringer type website because so many of my students write blogs and so many Mm -hmm. of my students do podcasts that even if it's just an internal thing that other students can go and look and see what other people are up to and they might go, oh, I had no idea. He loves lacrosse. They're doing a lacrosse podcast. I love lacrosse. Can I get in on that, guys? Right. You know, or boy, she's got this awesome blog on volleyball, and I love volleyball. How can I? How can I help? And that then breeds the networking, yeah, which is great. And frankly, once we get more and more grads out there, we're going to get people who who may not be in a position to hire, but might know of openings and can say to their boss, hey, I know you've got this opening coming. I, I can get you three or four people from Dan Patrick who would be interested. And hopefully those people have seen the quality student that they're getting from us and they know how our program works and how different it is from other places. And yeah. we're basically an incubator right. <laughs> for the networks and for the stations all around the country that they'll say, yeah, please go see if there's any anybody from your school that yeah. would be coming here. So growth is the big thing. You know, full sale 
has amazing film and music and video game programs and, and things of that nature. And when people in that industry hire a full sale film grad or music, they know exactly what they're getting. No I want to get to that point with our program where right now, I mentioned my staff and the experience. We call people, email people all the time. We know it's hard to work at ESPN for two decades and not know people pretty much everywhere. Right. <laughs> and I've got four ESPNers on my staff right. uh, and people who've worked in local markets and whatever. So we're doing a lot of canvassing the country to help people find jobs. I'm waiting for that tide to turn and for people to start calling me and emailing me. That'll happen. I, mean, I have no doubt and happen sooner than later. What, what advice do you give, you know, do you have for Rollins students who, who want to get into this career aside from, you know, graduating here and going there? Um, you know, what, what, what would you tell them right now? Well, I'm proof that, you know, the path doesn't have to be what you think it is. Yeah. Came here as a theater major, switched to an English major, and then went and knocked on a door. Yeah. Um, now, local stations tend to be more rigid with their internships now. There's usually kind of seasonal when you have to apply. You can't just knock on a door and talk your way into an internship <laughs> right. anymore. But you don't have to go to my school or some of those other schools necessarily to, to get that job. Uh, it certainly helps. Uh, for a myriad of reasons, not the least of which is the connections. But if it's what you want to do, you just got to figure it out and go for it as best you can. Again, I worked for free for nine months, right. you know, and figured out a, a way to make it work um, because it was the opportunity that I just wasn't going to let go by. Right. So it's not easy, but look, when you and I were coming up, it was TV and radio, and that was a fairly small pool to swim in. Yeah. The internet has changed all of that. Right? So if nothing else, you can do it yourself. I did a Q&A a couple of weeks ago with a guy named Casey Kiernan, who was an anchor at CBS Sports HQ, and I had done some talent coaching for them, and he was there at the time. Well, they let him go, and so he started his own YouTube channel. He puts one eight- to nine-minute video on YouTube a day, Monday through Friday, posted at 5 o'clock. That's all he does. Right. And he's making more money doing that than he was anchoring at CBS. Yeah. Because there's a system and there's a need and there's this space where you can go do that yeah. stuff. And in part because he's a professional broadcaster who understands performance and understands production. So his stuff looks and sounds better than the vast array of garbage that's out there. For <laughs> people who just turn on their cameras and go, let me talk about the Knicks for the next 47 minutes. Right. right? So yeah. that's why I tell my students, like, even if you don't have a job offer when you're leaving us, We've armed you with all these skills to do all of that on your own. And you can be successful doing it, and you don't need someone to hire you. Yeah. You can be your own boss. That's right. So the game has changed completely. So even if you don't go to these schools or you come to Rollins and you just decide that this is what you want to do, give yourself those, the reps. You've got devices all around you that can record things that you can watch back. You can study other things on YouTube. See what television's all about. I call it sampling. You know, hey, I really like the way they do that segment. Let's kind of do that, but we'll twist it. We're ripping each other off all the time. It's okay. There are there's very little original thought anymore. Yeah. But it's just taking and tweaking. And so you have all this stuff at your disposal to practice it and to work on it and, and to try to get good at it. And sooner or later, if it's good enough, someone sees it. Yeah. And goes, hey, this is the Golf Channel calling. We see these videos you're doing on the PGA Tour. They're awesome. We'd love you to come, blah, blah, blah. Right. That's how it works. So 
moving away from the school a little bit and sort of to, to the to the Rollins. So you heard the intro of the show and sort of the why we, why we do this. Yeah, we, you're we, much more important now than you were when I knew you before. Well, that's incredible. Yeah. That's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Will you post that somewhere? Sure. Um, when you moved here, moved back here, you know, uh, to Winter Park, how how quickly were you as a as a Rollins guy with you know great Rollins pride and connectivity? How how quickly were you able to gauge the impact of Rollins in and around you know Central Florida and sort of the impact that Rollins has in our region? Yeah, you know, when you just say to people, "Well, I went to Rollins," blah blah blah. Oh, did you? Uh, you know, do you know so and so? And frankly, moving back here. <laughs> was so easy in part because so many people I knew from Rollins were still here. Right. You know, I was gone for 20-ish years and I came back and here here everything is. You know, the 7-Eleven at the end of Park Avenue is still there. (laughs) The uh, Olive Garden out by Lee Road was still there. You know, there there were some landmarks, the Draft House, all these things, they're still there. Yeah. So it made the transition really easy. Um, and frankly, to come back and see Coach Wilkes and Coach Kluzman still coaching the basketball teams, which I knew, but until you see them standing there, you know, yeah. um, it's 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 very reassuring to go. There is this community uh, that will be there and support you. And you know, I was blown away when they they said they wanted to put me in the Hall of Fame. I was blown away when they said they wanted our students to call their games. Um, you know, it, it's easy, I think. When you get away from it for as long as I did, and I was, you know, knee deep at ESPN, well, neck deep at ESPN, and spent 20 years raising a family and thinking about my life and trying to produce SportsCenter, and you know, the the, the connective tissue between me and Rollins had been stretched really, really, really thin. Mm-hmm. But to come back and have it snap back into place just like that and feel like it's as tight as it ever was is incredible. Oh, it's a good feeling. It's nice. Yeah. You, you mentioned it. You and, and Jackie uh, raised three outstanding young young men. One did not go to Rollins. One is at Rollins, and one is still TBD. But talk a little bit about you know the experience as a parent, uh, and obviously as a Rollins alum, kind of going through the Rollins uh, recruitment process. Yeah, it's funny. He didn't necessarily want to come here at first. We were looking at some other schools, and he had when we moved back to Florida, we he was in tenth grade, right. which is the worst possible year you can Probably. move a child. You know, they've just <laughs> mastered high school after that first year. They survived ninth grade. And so now to pick them up and say, hey, that thing you did last year, let's do it all again. Um, but by the way, we're going to tear you out of the home that you grew up in and we're going to go try something all over. Right. So he had these ideas about wanting to go back to the Northeast and, and kind of being back from where he came from. Um, and he, I had brought him over to some Rollins basketball games. And so he and with our my students calling games, he would come hang out. So he knew the campus really well, and he had a pretty good idea of what it was all about. Um, but he's like a lot of kids in that he has a rough idea of what he wants to do, but he's not 100% certain. And so coming to a place like Rollins where you can pivot, like I pivoted, yeah, um, yeah. and just kind of try to figure it out as you go along is is really beneficial. I don't think the majority of students go to college with, oh yeah, someday I'm going to be in sports broadcasting and this is just it. how I'm going to spend the next four years of my life right. before I start doing it. Sure. I think when you come to a liberal arts school, a lot of it is, let me figure it out when I get there. And so he's in that process right now. I think in the beginning, um, there was some idea of education or history um, and now it's leaning more towards the communications because he's doing some writings, writing for a Mets website and the more he does that, I think the more he's he's kind of into that. But 
um, the ability to just kind of look around and go, well, this will be helpful. That'll be helpful. I yeah. think that that's really great. I love it. That's great. Well, it's a great story or have a great Rollins uh, family and a great Rollins connectivity on so many different levels. So I uh, can't thank you enough for taking a little bit of time here to join us on Rollins Around Town. Any, any last parting shots or parting words you want to uh, share with, uh, with us? Um, just that, you know, Rollins has grown a lot um, from when we were here in so many different ways, all in good ways. Yeah. Um, but at its core, it still feels the same, I think, when we were here as when my parents were here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think those values and the ideas of, of the benefits and the things you can gain from coming to a school like this and, you know, so much of, as I said earlier, about working in whatever field it is, is connections. And I think the connections that you make at a place like Rollins are long lasting and, and benefit everybody. Uh, so it, it's great to see that that's still kind of the backbone of what goes on here. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we're pretty good examples of that. So uh, <laughs> thank you, my friend, for uh, for being with us. Our, our guest today is Gus Ramsey, uh, Full Sail University's Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting uh, Program uh, Director. Uh, and i um, just honored to have you on the show. And thanks for all you uh, do for, for me and for Rollins and for our community. So we thank you for joining us today on Rollins Around Town. A special thank you to Sammy uh, for operating the board and handling so many of the behind the scenes work for the show and for scoring the winning goal for a women's lacrosse team against Florida Southern. That always deserves a round of applause anytime we beat Florida Southern in anything. So keep updated on our show and guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rollins Around Town and Instagram as well. Uh, Subscribe to our podcast, Rollins Around Town, on Apple, Google, and Spotify. So with that, uh, again, we thank you, Gus, and uh, we wish everyone a great day, and we'll see you next week.